Friends, good morning. My name is Sam Othersveld. I am a pastor here on staff, and I have some special guests with me today. Annalise and Naomi will be praying for the message, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we are all able to come worship you today. We thank you for all the amazing things you do. We pray for Pastor Sam and that he can teach us more about you and how amazing you are during his sermon. Please help us to listen to what you say through him. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So it's, it's fitting that today's theme is of joy. It's, it's hard not to be joyful this morning, especially when we come together to worship uh, the living God, as well as when we get to celebrate a new family that comes to Grand Rapids after uh, a really challenging experience. So, so we receive them with joy. Uh, Fifth Church is blessed because of, of this special family, and Grand Rapids is blessed. So thanks to that family that, that is here today. So today we continue our series in Advent titled, Do Not Be Afraid. And it revolves around the life of Jesus, and especially God sending messengers in the form of angels to talk to regular everyday people. So we'll read from Luke 2 this morning. And in this passage, one of God's messengers, an angel from the realm of the supernatural, shows up to a group of shepherds. So this is the third time in the Gospel of Luke that angels have spoken to a person or a group of people. And it's also the third time that whoever is receiving this greeting from an angel trembles with fear. Have you had moments in your life when you've had an encounter with the Lord and you come away from it thinking, wow, that was crazy. Even if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's really hard to comprehend a being from the supernatural realm showing up to your doorstep saying greetings from the Lord. A natural response is fear and trembling. Also in this time, uh, Jewish people have had a, a period of silence from the Lord. So for 400 years, it's known that God did not make himself known in a unique way. Between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's a long period of waiting. God did not make himself known. And then all of a sudden, God shows up, and he literally shows up on their doorstep. So with that, let's hear from the word of the Lord. Listen again to the story you know so well. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. So verse 1 starts out with Caesar Augustus, and he issues a decree um, to have a census across the whole Roman Empire. Because of this, Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem, which is Joseph's family's hometown. In issuing this census, Caesar Augustus has no idea what he has set in motion. Scholars suggest that in the Old Testament there are around 300 prophecies um, that Jesus fulfilled with his life, death, and resurrection. So that just points, uh, that points to the importance of reading all of scripture and seeing Jesus present throughout. Uh, one of the prophecies that Caesar Augustus set in motion is found in Micah 5.2, which we'll read right now. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Caesar Augustus is the most powerful person in the world at this time. He controls the whole Roman Empire, and his great uncle is the infamous Julius Caesar. And the Romans were known to have a census every now and then. It wasn't every five years or so, but essentially whenever the, the Roman leader wanted a census, it, it would happen. And, and the main purpose of that is counting how many people are living in the Roman Empire. Uh, and with that number, um, Caesar Augustus essentially knows how much he can tax from, from people, how much money he can receive for his empire, as well as how many people can be in his military because Rome was all about conquering the next adjacent territory as well as defending themselves from the enemy. So Caesar Augustus, he thought he was increasing his own power, yet he set an ancient prophecy in motion that would bring the Prince of Peace to Bethlehem. And we now worship that Prince of Peace and believe that he has power over any earthly authority. Earthly power is nothing compared to the power of God. <laughs> All right, so at this point, you would think Joseph and Mary are excited. They, they're fulfilling an ancient prophecy. That they probably don't know that, but they're also having a newborn baby. And they also get to celebrate this newborn baby with Joseph's family. So there's a new baby happening. They get to see family. There's going to be celebration and so much joy, right? No, there's not joy. That is not how they were received by Joseph's family. Ever since Mary said to the angel Gabriel, when Gabriel came to her and said, you will conceive of a son, he will be called Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, he will be the Messiah, she said, may your words of me be fulfilled. Ever since that moment, her life was changed. 
there was a cost to her saying yes to the Lord. First off, Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. And we know that in today's world, the church, unfortunately, is not known to be the best receivers of this information. So times that reaction in today's world by about a thousand in a more conservative Jewish context, and you might start to understand how Mary is feeling in this situation. And at one point, Mary's relationship with Joseph was on the line. When they got engaged, that's essentially signing a marriage certificate. So, so Joseph could have divorced her when hearing about this information. Thankfully, he chose not to when an angel came to him and said, hey, this baby is from the Lord. And also, according to Jewish custom, uh, Jewish law, actually, uh, it was written in there that a woman who was unfaithful to her husband could be stoned to death. So that was Mary's situation. And this text mentions that Mary also goes from Nazareth to Bethlehem. This is a distance of about 80 miles or so, and that's 80 miles of walking or riding a horse for a pregnant woman. That's a painful journey, literally, uh, physically and emotionally. And many scholars think, um, because of the drama in her own family, that Mary fled to Bethlehem. Joseph was the one who had to report for the census. Mary didn't necessarily have to go to Bethlehem with Joseph. Following the Lord's will doesn't always come with harmony and peace, yet it always comes with blessing. So Joseph and Mary, they arrive in Bethlehem. So at this point, there's another chance. They're gonna, they're gonna meet Joseph's family. So maybe at this point, they can be, re- be received well, especially with a newborn baby happening very soon. Yet Joseph's family is not even mentioned in this story. What we are told tells us a lot about their reaction to Mary coming to town. Everyone knew that this census was happening. It wasn't like the census was issued and the next day everyone reported to their hometown. Word spread. So people knew that family from out of town would be traveling back into town because the Roman Empire needed uh, this information. So Joseph's family knew well in advance that he would be showing up and there was a possibility that his fiancée Mary would be showing up as well. In our culture, it's customary that uh, if you would travel a long distance to a family member's house, that they would offer uh, their house for you to stay in. If you were to call a family member, tell them you're going to come visit, maybe you're traveling over 400 miles or so, and they would respond with a list of hotels or Airbnbs nearby, you would not feel good, right? You would not feel welcome. Uh, That's not a hospitable thing to do, even in our culture. Uh, And speaking of hotels and and rentals, I want to talk about this word that is used um, and translated as guest room or in, I-N-N. This word is called cataluma. And this is the same word when uh, that Jesus uses when he asks for a room to be prepared for the Last Supper with his disciples, known as the upper room, which, which took place in a household. So sometimes that word can be translated as, as in, which, which makes sense in our culture today. Um, in our culture today, we travel a lot. Traveling is a, is a part of what we do, and, and there's many modes of transportation. When you travel, you got to have a place to stay. And it's not like everyone who travels has family members where they go. So hotels are common in our world. 
But back then, traveling was exhausting. You most likely had to walk. You wouldn't go long distances. Bethlehem was also a small town, not known for hotels. So most likely there weren't many hotels around at this time. And and we know that traveling wasn't a huge part of their culture. But not only that, hospitality for Jewish people was everything. Hospitality was at, at the core of what they do. Opening the door to your home for a traveler was deeply embedded within the Jewish customs. Think about Jewish history for a moment. Uh, We know that through Jacob's family, they had to flee Israel because of a famine. They wound up in Egypt. They were enslaved for over 350 years. Through the Exodus story, we know that they fled Egypt, yet yet God, we know, led them through the wilderness for 40 years. They were disobedient to him, so it took longer than normal. Then they finally made it to the promised land. They finally had a home. So that's their history. So when they know of a weary traveler, they're going to welcome them into their home because they know it's not fun to be without a home. It's not fun to be uh, without a place of rest. I want to show a picture uh, that shows what a first century home in the ancient Near East could have looked like. So when you Picture Joseph's family and and Jesus and Mary coming into town. Uh, They were hoping to stay in a place like this. This is a picture from uh, the Harvard Museum of the Ancient Near East. So in this picture, you'll see a ladder going up to a second level. This second level was where the homeowners would sleep. uh, And if they would have a guest or uh, whether that's a friend or family, they would sleep on the second level as well. And they would do that because on the first level, you have kitchen where you'd prepare food, you'd have some storage, but also you'd have animals sleeping in your house. You can see a sheep there that was pretty common in their world. So any animals that uh, they owned would, would be in their house at night for safety, for protection, so they wouldn't run away. And that was the place that was offered for Joseph and Mary. And we know that because as soon as Jesus was born, he was wrapped in cloths and he was placed in a manger. And if you don't know this, a manger is a feeding trough for large animals, not a normal place where you'd want to to place a newborn baby. So Joseph's family said, "You're you're not welcome to stay where the people sleep in our house, but you are welcome to be where the animals are. So that was their reception to Joseph's family. So why wouldn't Mary and Joseph have been welcome to sleep in the guest room, on the second level of any of Joseph's family members' houses. They were perceived to be sinful people, conceiving out of wedlock. Joseph's family didn't know how to deal with this information. This was a perceived problem. Of course, it wasn't the actual problem that they were dealing with. But because they perceived that was happening, they responded with judgment, they responded with disgust. The world hasn't changed much, has it? This is something that the church of today struggles with as well. And as sinful people, not just this sin that we're talking about, conceiving out of wedlock, but it's, it's easy for us to think and look at other people's sins and, and think we are more righteous than them. We deserve better than that person because they committed that sin. That's what we do. So in the midst of all this family drama and a discouraged Mary and Joseph, 
there is a beautiful baby who is both helpless and the savior of the universe at the same time. God came to us in the middle of nowhere, in the midst of family drama, in the midst of a family mess to invite you and me into a relationship with him. God came to us to to take on our sins and to show us how to walk the narrow road. And God somehow is okay with being placed in a feeding trough meant for animals. We don't have to have it all together for God to come near to us. That is the true gift of Christmas. And receiving that gift leads to a response of an abundance of joy. Many of us who have heard the Christmas story um, might, might be numb to the fact that the first people to hear about God being born in the form of a human being are shepherds. We may see the nativity scene and just think, oh yeah, shepherds are there. Why in the world are shepherds the first people to hear about Jesus being born? Let's read this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. At this point in time, God was just thought of as a spirit. God was the supernatural. He wasn't involved in the physical world. God mixing with the physical world just didn't make sense to folks at this time. And for us, it's hard to comprehend what that means. The physical world was thought of as bad. God was thought of as good. So you can't necessarily mix bad and good together. So God coming into the world, telling these shepherds that he's going to be born into a family is crazy news, yet it is wonderful news at the same time. So wouldn't God want to tell the world all at once, hey, I'm here. You haven't heard from me in a long time, yet I'm coming to you. This is great news. Uh, follow Jesus. He's a, he's a good person to follow. Yet God only tells a small group of shepherds. God has the ability to tell everyone all at once, hey, I'm here. Jesus has been born. He is your savior. Go and follow him. I I think about, you know, in schools when you were called down to the office, you would hear your name on the PA system from above. God has the ability to do that in, in a heartbeat, yet he does not do that. He tells a small group of people the greatest news ever shared. So why send an angel to a small group of shepherds? Shepherds, they weren't necessarily the bottom feeders of society, but they were not known of as as having a high status in society. Shepherds' uh, main claim to fame was back in the day, King David was reigning over Israel and he was known as a shepherd. But that was a long time ago. At this point, agriculture was taking over society Farming was on the rise and not as many people were were shepherds. God declared to shepherds working out in a field nearby that his son had been born, the Savior and Messiah in the town of David. And not only that, but God invites them to come and see his child. (laughs) God invites the shepherd into this sacred space with him. 
to all the parents in here, you understand that after your child is born, it is a sacred moment to hold your baby. You wouldn't necessarily want a whole crowd to be there, maybe a few, but most people would not, a whole, not want a whole crowd to be there, and you wouldn't want strangers to be there as well. Yet, God invites people like the shepherds to come and share a powerful experience with him. If he does that, then he certainly invites people like you and me into spaces where we can have an unforgettable encounter with him. And notice how God doesn't even tell the shepherds, hey, I've told you this great information, now please go and share this with others. I would love for you to keep on sharing this message. He doesn't give them um, a to-do list, yet what they do after is they go and see Jesus and they tell everyone that they know. That is a response of having a powerful encounter with Jesus. God wasn't in a hurry to have the whole world know who he is. He is all about empowering his people to share the message of the gospel. In a moment, God could speak to the whole world right now and say, hey, I love you, follow my son, Jesus, uh, and he will help you walk the narrow road. Yet, he tells his people, us, we have the ability to share that message. That is the way that God gets his message across to the whole world. God desires that out of a personal relationship with him, out of powerful encounters with him that we would go and tell the good news of Jesus. So friends, when is the last time you had a powerful encounter with Jesus? When's the last time your heart was so moved that you recognize God is real, that Jesus did come here to earth, and you desired for others to know about it as well? Here at Fifth, here at, uh, in Grand Rapids in the Reformed Church in general, it's common to think that our relationship with Jesus is all about the process, the process of coming to church, the process of devotions, the process of giving financially, maybe being in a few Bible studies per week. Those are all good things, not bad things, but God also comes to us in powerful encounters, in ways that we don't necessarily expect. Our walk with Jesus is a mixture of process and encounter. Encounter in the way that the shepherds encountered the Lord in a powerful way and wanted to, t to tell others about who Jesus is. So are you giving God the space to have a powerful encounter with you? If you feel like you've been going through the motions, if you feel like your faith is dull, maybe now is the time to actually set a date on the calendar and say, Lord, I expect you to show up in powerful ways. Maybe that's a day. Maybe that's a week for you. And I would be glad to help you with that. Maybe an encounter could look like going to Via de Lid and placing water filters and worshiping Jesus in a different culture. Maybe an encounter with the Lord could look like going to Colorado with student ministries and backpacking in the Rocky Mountains. Or maybe it's showing up to fifth on a Wednesday night in January to worship the Lord, expecting that God is going to show up in a big way. Or maybe it's actually practicing Sabbath on a weekly basis, getting rid of distractions, saying, Lord, I'm here, please show yourself to me. And maybe it means losing your phone for a week or the rest of your life. Whatever is, whatever is distracting you from Jesus, 
Set a date on the calendar and say, God, I expect you to be here. God has come to us in the form of Jesus, and because of that, we praise and worship him, just like the angels and heavenly hosts in this passage. And we are people of joy, but that does not mean that with that comes pure bliss and harmony and peace. Thankfully, we don't follow Jesus because our world is perfect. We follow Jesus with joy because he is the perfect one who comes to us. He is the perfect one who takes on our sins and dies for us. And he is the one that gives us life. And we are joyful people because of who he is and what he's done. And we cannot do anything to diminish that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you, um, and we praise you for coming into the world in a unique way, but an extremely personal way. And we ask that during this season, we can be expecting for you to show up, help us worship you with our whole hearts, and and help us do that with joy. Uh, And we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.